Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Good news. Uh, in case you missed last week, um, the new guy won the election by a landslide. Okay? Last Sunday, the members of our church affirmed Austin Dykeman as our new lead pastor. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, so he's the new guy. And I've had several people say to me, well, PK, you're the old guy. Uh, what does that make you now? I'm still trying to figure some of that out, but here's a couple things it makes me, okay? Very happy, very relieved, and very proud. Proud of all the hard work that we've done to get to the point where we are right now. Um, I learned something about old guys last week, and um, you can decide if you're an old guy or not, if you qualify once you hear this, but the leading cause of injury for old men, do you know what it is? still thinking that they're young men. (laughs) Truer words never spoken. And I've also found, though, that you don't have to be real, real old to also believe that that's true. I've heard some 30-year-olds kind of go, oh my gosh, I tried that and I didn't realize how old I now am. That only gets worse. Um, Okay, anyhow. So I am the old guy. And there's a couple things I I wanted to say today as we officially hand um, this off to Austin and to his wife, Katie, this morning. Um, Throughout the process, we've likened this to a a relay race, not a four by 100 yard dash, but a long race, okay? And um, our focus has been on, we really want to successfully hand off the baton. We want to make sure that we do that well. And um, we have been, I think, very successful up to this point in time. And um, I say that because of not just what we feel, but we've had so many comments from the body here and from outside people looking at this process who kind of said, wow, this is, this is so successful, so smooth. This is really going well. And um, we all feel that. We're glad for that. But at this point, the handoff has been successful, but the race is far from over, right? There's still a great future for this church. We have a long way to go. And everything in me really wants this church to grow as it goes forward and really wants all that God has for this place to be accomplished in the future. And I think that there is, there's a lot of things, but there's one key to moving forward more fully, excuse me, and more effectively into God's future plans and purposes for Good Shepherd. And so, I just want to talk a little bit about that this morning, and I hope it's a little bit. I think to successfully navigate the future means that we are very intentional and do a good job of living out and practicing what it means to be a multi-generational and an intergenerational church. And that's what we are. We, we very much for the longest time have felt that that's what God has called us to. And um, to be young and to be old at the same time. Because the church is a family, right? And families have members who are really young and really old. 
all at the same time. But I think as, as God's family, to live out his perfect plan and his perfect will for us means that we do a good job of being old and young at the same time with value in both those places. But I also think it presents a great challenge in the society in which we live today, okay? It's not natural in our society to be inter- and multi-generational. I want to read something. I think it's an interesting observation that Jesus made about old things and new things. This is out of Luke chapter 5. He was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new wine, for he says, the old is good enough. Now, specifically, Jesus was talking there about the old covenant and the new covenant, okay? The old covenant means you're saved by following the law and by the works that you do. And the new covenant is you're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross. And the point he's making here is those two things are mutually exclusive. They are not compatible. They do not mix well. But I think there's also a bigger principle that Jesus is alluding to here. And I think it is, by nature, new things and old things also don't mix or blend very well. They tend to separate. They tend to, to be isolated from one another. The natural tendency between, especially in people, young and old, is to kind of isolate and to judge each other's group and to misunderstand and make bad assumptions. And I think that stifles God's greatest heart, which is for unity in his body. And the scripture says in the Psalms that where there is unity, God commands blessing. So that makes unity really important, doesn't it? And I think there's just something about unity that can be summed up in two things that I want to very quickly mention to you today. We've been successful in this handoff so far because, praise the Lord, we identified something early on and, and have focused on trying to live this out. And I also want to say to you that I think continued success for our church means that we continue to focus on these two things and live them out to the best of our abilities. The two things are honor and blessing, okay? Honor and blessing. Let's start with honor, not because it's more important, but got to start someplace, okay? Honor means to give something or someone the esteem, the value, the appreciation that it's due. Um, with people, it's to value their worth and their contribution and to say so, to show it, to, to speak it. It's not just an attitude or a feeling you have. You demonstrate honor, okay? I believe honor starts with the younger generation and should flow up to the older generation. I think part of what has encouraged me so much in this process of transition with Austin, and, and John's been a part of that too as he's transitioned with, with Pastor Rob, um, part of why I can so readily and easily affirm him as our new lead pastor is he's got a great ability to honor the past. You really do. And I don't mean me. I, I mean us, the whole church. Austin really sees the wisdom and the knowledge and the hard work by so many of you that have built this place, made it what it is today, and he can honor that, appreciate it. He also, I've said this many times, 
knows that there's a lot of stuff he doesn't know. That's unique and rare for somebody his age. So many people his age think they know everything, at least know way more than older people. He's not like that at all. He's so open to the, the wisdom and the counsel of those who kind of have been down the road a ways. Um, I love that about you, but as I said to you earlier, God loves that even more than I do about you. That's important to him. So I want to say to the younger generation in our church, follow Austin's lead in this, okay? It's, it's God's way. It's the right thing. Continue to honor the older generation in this place. Value them. Learn from them. Even take some initi initiative in, in connecting to them because there's great value in that. Number two, the second thing is blessing. We need honor, but we also need blessing. That means to, to praise, to encourage, to support, and to help them, to ensure the welfare and the prosperity of others is what it means to bless. And with this one, with blessing, where honor flows from the younger generation to the older, I believe God's intention is that blessing flows from the older generation to the younger. And to the older generation, I want to say today, it's on us to be very diligent and proactive in, in um, supporting and praising and blessing and encouraging Austin, his leadership team, as he moves Good Shepherd forward. And I want to clearly say this. Support includes money. See, I can say that now because <laughs> you may hear about that, but I won't. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, I'm serious. Um, money resides for the most part in the older generation. And supporting this church includes means financially as well. Now that doesn't let the younger generation off the hook, but you don't have the resources that the older generation has, okay? To the older generation, guard your hearts from. Well, we never did it that way. How come they do it that way? We used to do it this way. That cannot be the issue in our hearts, okay? This, is, this has to be about doing what God wants done, doing things God's way. And how those things are done is going to, every generation changes that. Do you realize that? Every generation changes how it's done. You just can't change what is done because there's some principles from God that just always need to be. Here's, here's an observation that I heard, I came across again just this past week. The most resistance to the new move of God usually comes from the people who were used in the last move of God. And so it's imperative that we guard our hearts as things change around here, not to resist what God is doing. Last thing I want to say, I think in some ways, older generation, younger generation functions like a marriage, like a healthy marriage, if it's doing what it's supposed to do. I've done a lot of counseling and unhealthy marriages, marriages with problems, usually looks like this. The couple comes in and one or both of them focuses on and points out the fact that their spouse is not doing what they're supposed to do in loving them or caring for them or supporting them. And so it's an excuse for, well, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. What a recipe for disaster. My counsel is always, don't worry about what they're doing. You do what God calls you to do and watch how the marriage will blossom and grow and, and become healthy, et cetera, et cetera. So to the older generation, we need to work to bless Austin and the younger generation. To the younger generation, continue to honor, follow his example in honoring the older generation. Okay, so last Sunday was the election.
this Sunday is the inauguration. We're not going to make you put your hand in a Bible and swear to anything, but we're going to commission and bless you here in a minute. Biblically, that's something that elders do. Anytime people were sent out in a new ministry or mission or something, the elders prayed over them and released them into it. We're going to do that in just a minute. I did something last service, though, that I want to do this service as well, and that is honor a few people. Now, Austin's folks are not here this service. Um, Darren and Kathleen Dykeman, um, I just I want you to hear this too. I just affirm them in raising their son. I didn't know you when you were little. I guess it must have been a wild thing, huh? But uh, since I've known you, I've seen such godly character and so much good in you, and your parents had to do something right. And I also said this, they at least made you smart enough to pick Katie as your wife. Might be the best thing you have going for you, buddy. I can say that because I'm married to Jan, so I get it. And also to the Parkers. Robin, you're here. Jim, you're back. Jim, step up a little bit, Jim, so people can see. And Robin, if you'd stand, please. Um, I haven't known Austin forever. I have known you since you were born. And um, you're almost like a part of our family. And I just want to say to your parents, I honor you for the great job that you've done raising your daughter. You never had any idea that she would be in this position this day, but you, you did a fabulous job of raising her. And I want to say to everybody, Katie in many ways is like a hidden gem. You've heard Austin talk. He's up front. He's, Katie's not quite that way, but you are getting a treasure in her. She is a great compliment to him. Um, she's going to blossom in this role, and I have tremendous confidence in who you already are, but who you're going to become in this. It's going to be awesome and wonderful. So why don't you two come on up here? Elders, if you'll come on up, those who are here. Some of them are out of town today and couldn't be here for second service, but nevertheless, I've asked Jim Lewis if he would anoint you with oil, and I'm going to pray, and you guys just kind of agree with me and affirm what God is doing, okay? Well, Jesus, um, this day has been a long time coming, but we're really grateful for your clear leading, leading us as a church to this day. And we just want to bless Austin and, and bless Katie and affirm the gifts and the talents and the skills, asking you to increase those in both of them, asking you, God, to just pour out wisdom. They, they're going to need a lot of wisdom, and you are the one who grants wisdom uh, without any restriction when we ask. So bless them with wisdom continue to give them courage. Thank you for the support systems already in place, the people around them who will love them and encourage them. Um, I just, I release you both into this new responsibility, but into also this new adventure, trusting God that he has raised you up and you are going to succeed and prosper and be a great blessing to the kingdom of God and to this church. So we together just release you into this ministry as lead pastors of our church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless you guys. I'm, I'm keeping them on a step lower. I said first service, I've never felt so small in my whole life. By you, so. Oh, man. It's all yours, pal. I do that to people sometimes. You know, I get a lot of requests in the grocery store for help to get things from the top shelf. So, um... Yeah, I, I, uh, this is such a, 
humbling moment for my wife and I, and uh, we're so excited. Um, we have some nerves about not knowing what we don't know, you know, um, don't know what's around the corner, but we are so excited, feel that God has called us here for sure. Um, I never sought this out, never thought this would be part of the new me, new decade in 2010, you know, but yet here we are. So um, I, I, you know, I've had a while to think about, okay, so what do you say? What do you, what do you say in a moment like this? What's the first things that kind of um, you draw people to or point people towards? And I, I think a couple months back, we were at an elders meeting and I was sort of overcome with, just struck by how grateful I am for the health of our church. You know, I think there's so many pastoral transitions that happen around the nation and different churches uh, where there's been a moral failure, where there's been something terrible that's happened um, in all sorts of different areas. There's, there's pastors who I know who have stepped into churches where the church is in terrible health fiscally, right? Like the finances are a mess and they're inheriting a bunch of debt. And, and I am just, I'm so overwhelmed with God's graciousness that the health of our church, the health of this family is so strong right now. You know what I mean? Um, fiscally, we're, we're so healthy that there's no debt. We have cash set aside for emergencies. I mean, um, it is just fiscally where we, we ended the year strongly last year and, and have just been through great oversight and planning have done really well in that area. Um, thanks to faithful men and women over the years, that's wasn't something that just happened in a vacuum this like last year, but, um, the, I, I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned this first service, but I'm so grateful for the, the elders and trustees who help oversee me, help, who help oversee this process and were invited into this process in a lot of ways. And um, so grateful for just the, the faithful men and women that fill this church. Um, it's such a mature, biblically literate and sound. Like, I'm just thankful that I'm not stepping into just like a mess, you know, like, but you all are a functioning family. It's not a dysfunctional family. Like it's healthy. We love being a part of it. We love this family. And, and so it's just special. Like, I'm just grateful that this is the, that this is the way it's happened, that this is what we're stepping into. You know what I mean? Um, and so, Praise God for that. I'm going to pray and then I'll kind of get into the message. But Lord, we are just so, so grateful. I just so overcome with awe, uh, how good you are, how good you are at planning, how good you are at bringing forth your plan, God, that's so just beyond our wisdom at times. And so we're just grateful that it feels like we're, like we got it right. I don't know, Kent, if you feel that way, I'm just grateful that it feels like we're doing the right thing. And um, we, we love you. We adore you. And we're going to cling to you in this whole process, God, as we now commence and kind of start this journey um, in this next season. I pray that that would mark us, that we are, that we are close to you uh, as, as a body, not just as one person, but as a whole body. I pray that we would um, fall just more deeply, more radically in love with who you are, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, one thing that hasn't gotten talked about a lot in the last couple weeks of this transition is what's happening with my old position. Uh, I was the next gen pastor. And so um, what we have done is we brought Caden Bush on part-time in September. And uh, we brought him in on part-time in part to test his ministry chops um, to see kind of how he would handle, how he would operate in, in ministry, executing ministry things that are happening here for the students, uh, but also just to see how he'd fit on with the team. 
right? And and I so I just want to publicly affirm you um, that part of the ease of this process for the two of us has been just the great excitement that we have for you being on the team and being a part of our, our family now here. So he's going to be going to full time as of January 1st. That's already happened. Um, and uh, I just, I'm so excited. I think if you spend any time with Caden at all, I got, to, I got to meet him a little over a year ago, I think is when it was. We sat down and grabbed coffee because he's not just some random intern that we pulled off the street. You know what I mean? Like I, I had been meeting with him and um, you have done some ministry school down in Alabama. You've worked in your father's church. And um, I just think you, you're, what shines through you right away is you have just an adoration for the Lord. Like you just adore him. You love being with him. And that comes through quickly if you spend any time with him. And um, the other thing that I think has been evident over these last few months is there is clearly a call um, for ministry on your life. I think you have a pastoral gifting. You have a pastoral call that's on you. And so we could not be more excited. I can't really wait to be working with him full time. I don't think our students here are going to miss a beat. And so um, if you see him in the hall, give him a high five, offer to help in middle school, you know, whatever you need to do. So um, if you love the Lord, that's what they do, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, Dorcas. That's good. Welcome him to the family. It's awesome. 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 Very excited to have you here, man. And so, um, yeah, I want to start. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's kind of a weird day for me and my family. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's surreal. It's all happening and it's kind of crazy. So I, um, I, I want to get into um, a word that I feel like I have for our church for the year. And so if you haven't been going to church here long, or if you don't know really what's what that is all about, um, ever since I've been going here, Kent has sought the Lord. He usually goes away sometime in the fall. Um, and you will go and just seek the Lord for, specifically to get some direction for the church in the upcoming year. And so I think it was like kind of late summer. He was like, hey, you should probably consider doing that. And it was kind of already on my radar. Like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. It'd be really awkward to just do what we just did and then have you come and give the word for the year, right? Like that'd be kind of weird to do. But um, I, so I, but that's like, kind of surreal that I think that was when I really started to feel a lot of the weight of this transition. It was like, okay, I, I like, I, I know I don't want to be in two camps. I don't want to be in the camp. That's the new guy who tried to hear a word from the Lord and couldn't hear from the Lord. Right. And so here I am on my first Sunday being like, I tried to hear from the Lord for some direction for our church and I couldn't do it. You know, like you don't want to be that guy, but just as much and, and more really, you don't want to be the guy who feels like he has to hear from the Lord and he doesn't hear from the Lord. So then he fakes a word from the Lord for everyone to try and just like play along. Right. And so um, I'm grateful that the Lord provided and I have to be neither of those people before you this morning um, because the word that we're going to focus on for next year, the word that we're going to rally around as a church is going to be this word established, established. And I want to kind of give you some of the backstory of how that came up. Um, it was a couple months back. One of the elders gifted Katie and I a night up in Estes Park. And so we got to go away, no kids, like a whole 24 hours, no kids around, just got to seek the Lord with my wife. Like how I'm like giddy at the chance to do that. Right. And, and Katie, like Kent was kind of, you were, he was affirming her. Like she's a, she's a prayer. She's a prayer girl can pray. Okay. She loves to pray. That kind of stuff just makes her come alive. Uh, she also is an analyzer. 
So she likes to kind of look at every angle of every situation, right? And she really likes to make sure we're making the right decision or that we're being effective, right? Uh, but it, you couple that with the fact that she's also a verbal processor. So while she's analyzing every like situation, every possible outcome, she's also verbally processing through all of that stuff she's analyzing. Any other men in the room that you're married to maybe one of those? Or other women that you're married to men like that because Caden is kind of like that too. So <laughs> um, yeah, like I knew, like, and so she was like, I just really don't want to mess up this time. I want to be efficient. I want to be effective. Like we, we don't get these overnights away without the kids and this was gifted to us. Really want to be a good steward, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and I have just enough type A in me. Like I'm not all the way type A ultra organized, but I have enough in me that I was like, okay, I'll plan this out, you know? So I put together like, I was scheduled sessions. We had, we had topics and goals and, and kind of like things that we wanted to accomplish in each session. And then we had, we had scheduled time where we would go apart and pray separately. We had scheduled time where we'd come back together and we'd discuss. And, and in, that, in that time, like you would have thought I was planning for like a whole conference, but it was just the two of us, like a nice weekend away, right? And so um, we knew we wanted to come out with some, some uh, goals for our family. We knew we wanted to come out with some like kind of defining statements for our family. Who are we going to be going forward if this transition really happens? What are what are some things that our family is going to be about? Uh, we we kind of set something. Okay, what are we going to do in our marriage? So what are, how are we going to be strategic? What rhythms and routines are we going to create for our marriage? And um, and then we spent a lot of the time, the most of the time, what we want to do is we wanted to focus on the church. Okay, God, would you just plant dreams in our heart, plant something in our heart for the church going forward, for this year, for the next five years, for 10 years. I plan on being here for as long as the Lord would have me, right? So what, what's the long play here, God, seeking him in that? And it was in that conversation that this word established just kind of, it just kind of jump out, jumped out. I can't say the Lord with this booming voice just spoke it from across the living room, you know, like this is what it's going to be. And that's not how it happened, but it was just like, man, all of a sudden this word's like kind of spotlighted. We couldn't get it out of our heads really. And we kind of kept circling back around to it as we were discussing. So came back with this word established, this kind of idea in our head. Well, like maybe that's it. Really want to kind of wrestle around with it a little more. And, and first thing I did was I got in my office and I got in a concordance and I just looked, I just, which just lists all the different words that are in the Bible, how many different times they're listed and where all they're listed at. Right. So I just looked at established, established, establishing, right. There's all these different tenses. And I started just putting on note cards, all these different instances of where it occurs. And then I got online. I started looking up definitions for established, which can mean several different things. Uh, it can mean uh, to be confirmed or proven. It can mean to arise or to be built on. It can mean to stand firmly or to be fixed upon. Um, it can be to maintain or to be persistent in. There's all these different takes on, on established. And so, um, man, over just praying over it, looking at it, I really just have this like peace in my heart. And I'm like, okay, I think, God, I think this is it. This is the word. And so then you kind of get that exciting moment. We're like, oh yeah, like, you know, it happened. I'm so excited. And, and then there's kind of like the overwhelming reality of like, well, now, like, what do you say? Well, how do you pick? What, what do you do? And there's all these different things that, that God has established about himself. There's all these things that, um, you know, you can look at God is, has established like his kingdom, but he's also establishing his kingdom. It's happening in a couple different tenses. And so that sends your brain through some loops, right? Like, okay, we should talk about that at some point. There's things that God doesn't just establish about himself. There's, there's things that we establish as, as we press in and as we become followers of him, we establish certain things in our hearts, in our lives, in our routines, in our rhythms, right? 
There's, there's things that he now has established about us. There's, we are not called the same thing that we used to be called. We're called sons. We're called daughters. And so we're going to get into that. We're going to spend the next few weeks kind of unpacking this, this theme. And so, um, but really like the first place where I wanted to start was simple. Because it's like, oh my gosh, all these different ways you could tackle this, all these different things you could say, where do you begin? And it was almost instant where it's like there's only one place that's really worth starting. And that's that Jesus has established himself as the head of the church. Jesus has established himself as the head of the church. And so it'd be really like big mess up, right? First Sunday on the new, in the new gig and we don't even open the Bible, right? So we should probably open the Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. Um, my Bible has a pretty just like marked crease in the book of Ephesians. It kind of flips there pretty naturally. And that's because um, my first series in youth ministry, it was a few years back, and I had no idea where to start, right? It's not like I had this whole scope and cycle built out. They're like, okay, well, you know, in the fall, we'll tackle relationships and then we'll tackle peer, peer pressure. And like, I just didn't have this real methodical thing. I, I was just like, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And give me, give me some idea. Give me some sort of direction. And I was like, well, I'll just open the Bible and we'll teach the Bible. Right. And Kent, you had some good wisdom for me that, man, you can uh, you can outpace a high schooler by just reading a chapter and studying a chapter of the Bible all week and then you can teach it to him. So first six week series was six chapters in Ephesians. That's what we did. Uh, but honestly, as as I've as I've grown and matured, I've only come to love the book of Ephesians more because really Ephesus is an interesting case study uh, from a pastoral perspective, because in Acts 18, and 19, we see the church of Ephesus born. Uh, we see Paul plant the church there. And then in, in, in the book of Ephesians is just a letter that Paul writes to the church in, in Ephesus and he's encouraging them. But then Eph Ephesus, like the church there, is actually rebuked then in Revelation chapter two. Uh, God says, man, you're doing these, you're doing this well, you're doing this well, but you ha have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. So I think it, it not only is there so much rich truth in the book of Ephesians for all of us individually and spiritually, and I for sure cling to a lot of the stuff that's in here, but as a pastor now, I come to it too and I go, what, man, what are you trying to speak to your church, right? As now the leader that God has put in this spot of the church, I'm, I'm looking at those things differently. It carries a different weight to it now, an additional weight. And so let's start in Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. You can read along with me on the screen, I think. Yep, or you, if you have your Bible, that's, that's awesome too. It says, for this reason, well, for what reason, Paul? Like that's kind of, you know, he's started in a spot where it's like, for this reason. It's like, what's the, what's the reason? What gives there? Well, Paul, in the whole first part of chapter one, what he's been setting up is that Christ has already chosen you before you chose him. He's, he's predestined you. He's determined beforehand, before you ever did anything right for him, before you didn't ever made any mistake towards him, he chose you. He loves you. He wants to pour out his immeasurable riches of his mercy, grace, wisdom, kindness, love all on you. And he chose to do that before he ever saw you do anything. That's awesome, right? That's great. And it's really good news if you have a lot of like carnage in your history, a lot of just bad stuff that's happened. Or, what, or even if you like grew up in the church and you got saved when you were one, like either way, it wasn't about the things you did or did not do. It was all about the fact that God initiated his relationship with you. So that's what Paul sets up for us in the first 14 verses. But then it goes on to say that for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you. And I remember you in my prayers. And then it's interesting to note how Paul prays for the church there. He says, 
I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What a great thing to pray for each other. What a great thing to pray over our kids. What a great thing to pray over our friends who don't know the Lord, our coworkers. Like just, I just pray, God, that you would, in our hearts somehow, would you just give us a greater revelation and wisdom about you? Would we just come to know you deeper? Would the people who don't know you, would you just give them a revelation of knowledge towards who you are, right? And he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He says, I'm praying that you would be having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which I've called you. He says, I don't, I don't care what, your, what baggage you have, what history there is, whatever's clouding your heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work of illumination, do his work of enlightenment, that he'd pry back and just penetrate deep into your soul about who God is and what he's done, right? And so that's how he's encouraging the church in Ephesus. And he says, what, what are the, um, I'm sorry, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then he starts to pivot here. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? He starts to say, man, God has poured out and and he's shown up in this powerful and mighty way. How powerful? He's poured out the greatness of his power toward us, believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So how powerful was God? He was powerful enough over death. He just raised Jesus from the dead, but he didn't just stop there. He didn't just bring him back to life and then set him on his way on earth. He raised him from the dead and then he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. As in Christ has been seated in heaven, far above all rule and authority, far above all all dominion and power here on earth. And he seated him there for forever. And so no matter what happens in the news, no matter what happens in Iran or Iraq, no matter what happens in the election in this coming year, man, can't we cling to that hope this year? That Jesus is seated far above it all. And it's not like just like locationally he's above it all. It means he's superior to it. He's more powerful than anything that's happening here on earth. Can't we have hope in that? It's a great truth. And the first, it's interesting because the first place that Paul goes to When he's speaking of that power, he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the first place he kind of references is he says, and he's been seated as head of his church. That Christ has been seated as as head of the church. And like, Again, that just puts hope in us because no matter what kind of persecution may come our way, no matter what laws are put in place against the church, Christ is the head and he's going to take good care of his bride, right? Like he's going to take care of his body. He's going to take care of the church that he is the brains of the operation of, right? He's going to work through them. He's going to do what he wants through them. And what I want to point out this morning is that this is not just going to be some universal truth that we acknowledge here, but this is going to be a very locally felt truth that Jesus is the head, not just of his entire church. We're going to trust him as head of this church. We're going to establish the first thing. I couldn't think of any better thing to stand before you. My first time getting to talk to you as your lead pastor. And I'm going to say, Jesus is the head of the church. We're going to establish that right now. Is done. He's, he is the head. He is the brains of the operation. And not just in a way that we go, oh, well, Jesus is the head of the church. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, of course, of course he is. 
but listen, I had this idea last night and it was like a really good idea about how we get a lot of people to come to our church. But that, it's not, and maybe you never really thought of this as a conflict for churches. Maybe you just obviously gone, well, of course Jesus is the head of the church. But I just, I just sit where I am right now, working in a church, now pastoring a church. And I just look at the landscape of the American church. And I think the, the, the frustrating reality is that we have churches that are filled with people and who are led with people that Jesus isn't necessarily at the center of that church. And here's what I mean. I want to be really careful in how I explain this. I think what we've done is we've built so much of the church around people's preferences that we just kind of put the lens on backwards. As in we go, okay, well, we really want a lot of people to come. And so we, we maybe preach in this certain way. We'll sing songs in this certain way. We'll do kids ministry in this kind of a way. We'll do discipleship in this kind of way because people really won't do discipleship in this kind of way. But so we'll make it more accommodating to them. And what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that people's preferences aren't important. I am saying though that they are not the most important. And what we are about here is we come to church knowing that it's God who sits in the driver's seat, right? And I just, I just, my fear is that a lot of churches have it backwards. They want to put people at the center and they want to build a lot of things around people and their preferences. When I just, I just think it's the other way around. I think what we need to do is we need to come before the Lord as leaders and we need to go, okay, God, would you just give me some sense of direction? Would you speak some sort of like guiding word to me? And would you allow me to bring that to the people? And my commitment to you is to not bring that it to you in a way that's watered down or diluted in any kind of way. Just, okay, God, what do you want to speak to your people? And then as people in the church, every time we're stepping in here on Sunday morning, we're not catering to our own needs first, but we're going, okay, God, what do you want to do to me? Because the truth is that this book is going to say a lot of things that's not actually going to make people happy, right? It's going to grate against us at times. It's, going to, it's, going to, it's, it's not necessarily, like if you just follow the Bible perfectly, it's not necessarily build a big church 101. And I'm not trying to knock big churches. I think there's a lot of big churches that do this really well. So I want to be clear in that. I just want to say that from our perspective, what we're going to do is we're going to approach Jesus first, and then we're going to come in here and we're going to do what he wants us to do. Because there's this verse, you've probably heard it before in Psalm 127. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Right? We've heard that before. We sang it in the song last week. And, and what this does not say is that unless the Lord builds the house, a house won't get built. Do you notice that? What this says is that the, it, it'll be worthless for you to build it without the Lord. But, but let's be clear. We've gotten so good at church in 2020 that I think we, we've, put, we've gotten really good at communicating. We've gotten really good at doing worship in a certain way. We know what kind of systems draw people. We know what kind of things draw people into a church. We know how to build great community. We know how to build a great atmosphere. And again, those things are all good, but unless the Lord calls you to build it, you run the risk of building something that the Lord actually detests, Right? Like, can we be real about that today? That my, my fear is that we would build a church that draws a lot of people that the Lord isn't pleased with. Honestly, I'd much rather get a confident word from the Lord. I'd much rather all of us step into church on a Sunday morning going, okay, God, what do you want to speak to me? Even if it's something that you don't want to hear. Even if it's something that I don't want to hear. But Jesus is the head of the church. He's going to make the call. And so, Here's kind of where I just want to pivot to, and then we'll be, 
and will be done is that uh, it's, it's crazy and it's surreal to be standing in this moment. Uh, I never, I never thought I'd be here. Like there'll be more time to unpack my story over the weeks to come. Um, But like, I I never sought this job out. And if you, if you don't believe in the Lord, like you can just look at my story and you can look at the trajectory that I was on at 16, 17, 18 years old. And you can look at where I'm standing now. And you'll see that those two things are miles, they're worlds apart, the worlds apart. Like the Lord has just done something in my life and I can't really explain it all. I can't really put it all into words, man, but he's, he's called me here. He's, he's placed us here. And, and it's this crazy, surreal moment. Uh, but what's even crazier, if I can be really honest, is that none of you really seem to be freaking out about it. <laughs> right? And, and I, I think that speaks to the fact that this is this has gone well. Kent has set this transition up in a really good way, in a way that that is encouraging and is comforting to a lot of you, right? Um, but like none of you all really seem to be hitting the panic button right now, and a lot of churches in this process would be slapping the panic button right now. And and my fear in that excitement, because I think really if I were to describe a word that I feel like the congregation is right now, it really feels like you guys are excited about this. And I am too. I'm really excited. But what makes me nervous in your excitement for this is that you have built me up in a way that is counting on me to deliver something. And I just want to say in front of you all on my first Sunday that the success in which we move forward into this next season that we're stepping into will completely hinge on my connectedness to the head of the church and your all connectedness to the head of the church as your Lord and Savior. That's it. That's it. Because one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to stand up here and say, well, gosh, like, no, listen, guys, I'm actually pretty terrible, but Jesus is awesome. So we're going to be okay. I think sometimes you can hear that in teaching and and it's just, it doesn't tell quite the full story because Jesus is awesome. I had some stuff that's wrong with me, but the fuller story of the gospel is that Jesus has actually gifted all of us He's gifted everyone in here uniquely. And so sure, you have things in you that are sinful. You have things in you that are like, you are letting a wound or a hurt influence the way you behave. Jesus wants to take that sin, those hurts. He wants to take them to the cross and he wants to watch them die. But then he wants to call out the good gifts that he's already put in you. And he wants to see you operating in those good gifts for the advancement of his kingdom, for his glory and his fame. And he wants to see that happen because he loves you. He cares about you. And so I, like I've already said, I feel like we have been called to be in this spot. I don't really know why God put me here, but he, here we are. Here we are. We're, we're going. I know that he's gifted me for it. I didn't qualify myself for this position. He qualified me for it. So he's called me. He's now qualified me. And I'm trusting that he's going to sustain me in those gifts. And hopefully we're all going to watch those gifts grow over the years together. Amen. And, and, My only request on your end is just kind of like Kent already set up for me. It's just to have some trust in me. And and here's what I've learned about trust. I heard Brady Boyd, who's the senior pastor of New Life Church down in Colorado Springs, say this um, about trust. He said it to a bunch of youth leaders a couple years ago. And he said, um, trust is the leader's greatest commodity. You just got to understand that. That it's not, not necessarily money is your greatest commodity. It's not necessarily all the stuff or resources or a lot of people that are your greatest commodity. It's trust. It's the trust that you have in the organization. That is your greatest commodity as a leader. And so I'm asking that you'd trust me. Um, But he said, the frustrating reality about trust is that it's earned in drips and it's lost in buckets. 
How frustrating is that? And so true, right? That's like, I mean, you can take that home to your rebellious teenager if you would like. Like it will fit in well. It's, just, it's earned in drips and it's lost in buckets. It's the reality. And so I know that it will take time for us to build trust. I know that I'm going to earn it drip by drip. I'm not expecting all of it in just this windfall. And I know that it's fragile and I can lose it in a moment if I do something that I should not be doing. And so I'm aware of that. I'm going to operate in that way. Because um, what the other thing that you just need to know is that Jesus being the head of the church, Jesus being the head of this church specifically, is that, uh, is that my job is not just preaching on Sunday mornings. Kent's job is not, has not just been preaching on Sunday mornings. That is a part of the job. But at, as of January 1st, what I, or today, I don't, I don't even know what the official start day is. But as of now, <laughs> what, what I'm stepping into is, is I, I am, I'm in charge of directing and guiding this church spiritually. Which even just like letting that fall out of my mouth, it's like, okay. But I'm also now the, uh, there's a business side of the church and I become the CEO of the business side of the church, managing the team, managing the finances. And my commitment to you is not just to show up on Sunday morning where Jesus is the center, but my commitment to you is to keep Jesus at the center of the way we budget, to keep Jesus at the center of the way that we run and and organize our team here, our pastoral staff, our our administrative team, all those people. I, I commit to you that any way that we do ministry around here will keep Jesus at the center. Any way that we get involved in the community and do outreach will keep Jesus at the center. Any way that we get involved in global outreach in the world will not be our preferences bestowed upon God and asking him to bless them, but it will be God leading us and guiding us to get involved in what we need to get involved in. At every area, my hope is that this church orients ourselves around Jesus as our head, right? And so that's just what I wanted to stand in front of you. Just make sure we all were on the same page moving forward is that Jesus, just be the head of this church. That's our prayer. It's our heart cry. And so would you pray with me? God, we don't just ask for that to happen in some sort of um, unintentional or careless kind of way. God, um, we ask that you would lead us exactly where you want to lead us. God, whatever new ground you want us to take, no matter what things you have for us to step into in this next season. We just trust that you're going to lead us there. You are going to take us there. You're going you're to call and qualify and sustain every person in here for what we're going into in the future, God, whatever that may be. And I pray that each of us would cling to you, knowing that you are not just the head of the church, really, God, you are the head of our our households. You're the head of our families. You're the head of our hearts, the head of our lives, God. Would we just put all of our chips in on you? And we just trust you with whatever it is that you want to do. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.